Liberating the Spirit of the Israelites by Rav Ezra Bick. The opening sections of Parashat Ba'era are very confusing from the narrative point of view. The story seems to grind to a halt as the Torah recounts a number of times that God commands Moshe, or Moshe and Aharon, to go to Paro and free the Jews. There is clearly a great reluctance on Moshe's part, but it is unclear just what is happening and why what seems to be more or less the same thing is retold three times. Let us first enumerate the different occurrences in the beginning of the parasha without at this point deciding whether they constitute distinct events or not. It would be desirable to follow this list with an open Tanakh. First, God appears to Moshe, explains his promise to the Avot, and instructs Moshe to tell the Jewish people that he will deliver them from Egypt. Second, Moshe speaks to the nation, but they do not pay attention. Third, God tells Moshe to speak to Paro, and Moshe answers that if the Jewish people do not listen to him, why should Paro? And I am Aral Svataim. Fourth, God speaks to Moshe and Aharon, commanding them concerning the nation and Paro, to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. Fifth, the genealogy of Moshe and Aharon. Sixth, God tells Moshe to speak to Paro, and Moshe answers he is Aral Svataim. So how will Paro listen to him? Seventh, God tells Moshe that Aharon will speak for him and sketches the pattern whereby Paro will continuously refuse until the final redemption. Eighth, Moshe and Aharon did as God commanded them, so they did. Ninth, the story of the staff which changed into a crocodile. And tenth, the plagues begin. God twice tells Moshe to speak to the nation and three times to speak to Paro, then a fourth time together with the sign of the crocodile, before finally beginning the plagues. Twice Moshe answers that he is Aral Svataim. What is the meaning of these repeated missions, and what precisely is Moshe's point concerning his speech impediment? What is the relationship between the failure of Moshe in regards to the Jewish people, and his fear of failure in regards to Paro? In short, while the narrative seems to stall for two chapters, what is really going on? Moshe has two different missions, one regarding Paro and one regarding his people. We know what he is supposed to do before Paro. He will order him to free his brethren and then will perform the plagues until Paro breaks down. But what is the nature or purpose of his mission to the Jewish people at this stage? Notice that in Parshat Shmot, God never tells Moshe to go to the Jews. First, God states, And now go, and I shall send you to Paro and take my people out of Egypt. Moshe seems to assume that he has a message for his people, asking, For I am come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God in turn answers this question, but nowhere has he actually given Moshe a mission to go to the Jews. He does order Moshe to gather the elders in order to take them with him when he goes to Paro. In response, Moshe again refers to his anticipated problems convincing his brethren, but they shall not believe me, and shall not listen to me, for they shall say, God has not appeared to you. Only in response to this and subsequent complaints of Moshe does God say, He, Aharon, shall speak for you to the people. When Moshe gets his traveling orders, he is told, Say to Paro, without any instructions concerning the Jews, though the first thing Moshe does when he gets to Egypt is to speak to the people only afterwards going to Paro. It appears that when God tells Moshe to go to Paro, his main concern is always how to address the Jews first. 
Only after his failure with the Jews in the beginning of the parasha does Moshe begin to worry how to appear before Paro. Only then do we find the verse, God spoke to Moshe and Aharon and charged them, Vayitzavem, concerning the children of Israel, and concerning Paro, king of Egypt, to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. What has happened here? The answer, I believe, is that Moshe understands that his task entails more than merely informing the Jewish people that they are about to leave Egypt. While this may indeed be a nice thing to do, after all it will cheer them up. That is not a mission. Aside from getting the Egyptians to let them go, Moshe must free the Jewish people from the psychological state of enslavement and dependency that they have sunk to. Moshe, fresh from his life in the king's palace, was shocked by the apathy and resignation of the Jews he met. Moshe, upon being told by God that the Jews are to be freed, immediately shifts the center of gravity of the problem from how to convince Paro to how to convince the Jews, not so much to agree to go to a land of milk and honey as to liberate themselves spiritually, to act as free, responsible, autonomous individuals. Moshe's solution to the problem of the ingrained slave mentality of the Jews is to inspire them. He believes that if a gifted speaker, a man of inspiration and spiritual vision, will directly address the slaves, he can awaken the slumbering Tzalem Elohim of human dignity within them. But he argues, he is not that man. He lacks a golden tongue, the ability to unleash the hidden powers latent in the human soul. It is this mission which worries Moshe, even as God sends him to Paro. God's answer in Parashat Shemot is to give him Aharon as a mouth, even as Moshe plays the role of Elohim. And indeed, Moshe at first meets success. His encounter with the people results in belief, and they bow down. But what follows? Total disaster. The Jewish representatives attack Moshe. The situation is worse. The people totally disheartened. Why have you worsened the state of this people? Why have you sent me? For since I have come to Paro to speak in your name, it is worse for this people, and you have not at all saved your people. Two things, Moshe says. One, it is worse for the people, and at the same time, the physical redemption has not been advanced at all. Here, God tells Moshe to reassure the people that he will redeem them. Moshe does so, but the people are so sunk in the apathy of enslavement that they barely hear him. They are unable to absorb the message. It cannot lift their spirits. Is it any wonder that Moshe is depressed? If the Jews won't hear him, what can he as an individual do to Paro? Moshe has proof that he does not have the power to effect the change in the hearts of his listeners. Moshe believes his mission is to reach the hearts of his listeners, whether the Jews or Paro, and this seems to be beyond his powers. Here, God explains the answer. God tells Moshe that indeed he has two missions. God charges Moshe to speak to both Paro and the Jewish people, in both cases to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. There is a mission to the Jews, and not only to keep them informed, but to take them out, to emancipate them. How will this be done? Here, God's answer is different than Moshe's assumption. Moshe will directly act only in regard to Paro. He will not persuade Paro by dint of the power of his possibility. I shall harden Paro's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Moshe is not going to persuade Paro. God is going to crush Paro, slowly, publicly. We do not find Moshe speaking to the Jews again about how they will be free, trying to inspire them. The liberation of the Jews will be accomplished by their witnessing the drawn-out victory of God over the power of Paro, his magic and his gods. The destruction of Egyptian might, the humbling of the sources of its power, 
will liberate the spirits of the slaves. Moshe has a dual goal, but only one means. Practically, God tells Moshe always to go and speak to Paro, but that act will have meaning on the one hand on the political level of Moshe versus Paro, and secondly on the socio-psychological level of the Jews versus their masters. They were Aaron and Moshe, whom God had told, Take the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, Al-Tzivotam. They were the ones who spoke to Paro to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. They were Moshe and Aaron. The double role is clearly evident here. What does Al-Tzivotam mean? The phrase is repeated in Parashat Bo in describing the Exodus. In that very self-same day, God took out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, Al-Tzivotam. One might be tempted to explain the verse in Bo as merely describing the order in which they left. But why was that part of the original mission, to take them out, Al-Tzivotam? I believe that the phrase means indignity, not as a horde of escapees, but as an ordered entity, with responsibilities, roles, acting with precision according to a plan. Moshe's role to the Jews is not just to move them, but to take them out of Egypt, Al-Tzivotam, in other words, as free individuals, members in the host of God. After 430 years, on that very self-same day, all the hosts of God left the land of Egypt. After 430 years of enslavement, generations of abdication of personal responsibility, they left as the hosts of God. They didn't flee Egypt, they marched out. This is the key to understanding the process of the ten plagues. In the beginning of Bo, this is made clear. God has hardened the heart of Paro, so that you shall tell in the ears of your son and your son's son all that I did in Egypt, and the signs which I put in them, and you shall know that I am God. The plagues were an exercise in public relations for the Jews. The basic formative experience of the Jewish people was to have been a helpless mass of slaves, without the power to raise their own heads in protest, and to have witnessed how their proud oppressors were humbled before God. This process is not completed until the drowning of the Egyptians in the sea, when Israel sees the Egyptians dead on the shore. Only then are they really free of the enslavement of spirit, and only then can they continue to Har Choreb to receive the Torah. In Parashat Vayera, when reading the individual Makot, it is worth noticing the emphasis placed on the publicity given to God's power and protection over the Jews. Many plagues are explicitly constructed so that the distinction between the Jews and the Egyptians is evident to all. The recurring theme of Moshe praying to God to stop the plague and the statement that God listened to Moshe, emphasizing that a Jew was the one to free Egypt from its problem, strengthening this effect. The Jews are passive bystanders, but not unaffected. What Moshe does to Egypt is the means of their inner liberation, and not merely the means to their physical expulsion. It is only the former that requires such a long, drawn-out contest between God and Paro, so that the transformation of spirit can take place. I think a very good question can be asked here. All too often, some clever expositor discovers a hidden meaning in a parasha, and then goes on to claim that it is the real and essential theme. But if that is true, why does God hide the central point? If Vaira is about the liberation of the Jews, why not state it a bit more clearly, instead of letting us think it is about the contest with Paral? The answer in this case is clear. The theme of the spiritual liberation of the Jews is a hidden theme because it is a hidden occurrence. If Moshe had liberated the Jews through a stirring speech or two, or through a self-liberation workshop, I imagine we would have had a parasha describing it. The whole point is that the direct inspirational method will not work. The inner workings of the soul is a hidden process, responding to events in the outside world. In this case, 
It is the power of God overcoming the Egyptians which releases the Jews, and not the power of Moshe's personality. Hence, the Torah describes the outward event, and hints, rather clearly, I think, at the corresponding inner process. There is a common distinction between Pesach and Shavuot that summarizes their significance as follows. Yitziat Mitzrayim is about the physical liberation of the Jews, Matan Torah about the spiritual liberation. Based on what we have seen today, that is overly simplistic. In order to receive the Torah, the Jews have to be free already, and not merely in the physical sense. Even a slave is obligated, according to Alacha, in some mitzvot. The necessary prerequisite is that they be free in spirit, able to accept responsibilities, and to make choices. This process begins at the Exodus and achieves its minimum goal before the giving of the Torah. On a certain level, the rest of the history of the Jews in the desert, and perhaps afterwards as well, can be read as a continuation of the same process. On the one hand, one must be free to receive the Torah. On the other hand, the Torah itself emancipates, is the path to freedom. The forty years in the desert can also be understood as a long struggle with the slave mentality of the people. There are distinct phases in the process of liberation, beginning with the Exodus and especially the fall of Egypt, followed by receiving the Torah and continuing with the special conditions of desert life, man, clouds of glory, a closed camp, Moshe teaching, etc. Presumably, we are still engaged in the process through the application of Torah to our daily lives on an individual and national level. Peeking ahead, I would like to suggest that this is the key to understanding the laws of Pesach Mitzrayim, since the practices commanded by God for the Jews at the time of the Exodus are not identical to the halachot of the Pesach celebrated afterwards, it must be understood as a distinct experience. After all, the Jews had not received the Torah and were therefore not obligated to observe Pesach. I would suggest that the following details of Pesach Mitzrayim should be understood as instrumental in liberation rather than celebrating it. The blood on the doorposts, showing a distinction between the Jews and the Egyptians, the hurriedness, anticipation, planning for the future, the opposite of the celebrated laziness of a slave, the borrowing from the Egyptians, forcing an attitude change, the Korban Pesach, a free man's meal, al-matzot umrarim yochluhu, eating, that is, mastering one's experience as a slave. I leave the details to you to work out. One final point concerning Moshe. The opening scenes of Parashat Shmot describe a heroic Moshe, striking out against injustice and fighting for human dignity, whether it is a case of Egyptian versus Jew, Jew versus Jew, or Midianite versus Midianite. It would be fair to assume that these scenes describe the personality of one who will be the emancipator of Israel, the liberator. I believe that the continuation of last week's parasha describes the failure of that theory. Moshe's heroic challenge results in further deepening of the slavery and the total collapse of the people's spirit. The liberation will take place with the name of God the Tetragrammaton, meaning not the mysterious workings of God in nature, but the full-bodied glory of direct divine intervention. Moshe is immortalized as Moshe Rabbeinu, as a teacher, and not as a liberator. I believe that refers not only to his teaching Torah, but to his teaching freedom as well. He did not break the bonds of the Jews. God did that. But he did help the Jews understand the meaning of their freedom. He taught them freedom by performing the plagues, we do not thank Moshe for coffering freedom upon us, but for teaching us what it means.